Good morning, everybody. Uh, we're going to be reading from uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, and then also from Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 23. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will de deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, but what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. But you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is the word of God. Thank you, Matt. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gathering of the saints. Um, being a Sunday morning, we know that your saints are gathered everywhere here in this valley and, um, and in many other places. We ask that your word be proclaimed and um, that the, um, the believers, the saints, would be edified. Pray for Tim out at um, uh, Boron Baptist this morning, uh, that he will speak well, that they will... Uh, take his message to heart, and, and they will be blessed. And we also pray for um, uh, Berean Fellowship Church in Palmdale, that uh, their morning will be a uh, sweet one of fellowship and hearing from your word and praising your name. So we look at your word, uh, open our hearts and eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. So you might have noticed I don't look anything like Tim Etherington. Um, so uh, Tim's preaching this morning at, uh, at Boren First Baptist Church. Uh, uh, Sherman Burkhead, the pastor out there, is one of the guys. Um, I preached two weeks ago for Kyle Stratton at Berean uh, Fellowship in Palmdale, who's also one of the guys, as the three of them call themselves. So uh, I like to think of myself as the guys adjacent. <laughs> Because as they shuffle around, wherever there's a hole, they go, hey, Dan. So. so when Tim asked me to preach this morning, my first suggestion for a sermon was pumpkin spice, curse, or blessing. <laughs> and I told him I was looking for a verse to build that on. He said, uh, now I want to be there for it. <laughs> he wanted to hear that one. Uh, seriously, though, um, that was the beginning of thinking about uh, the fall season. We're coming into the fall season. It's supposed to be what, in the 80s today? 
it doesn't feel real fall-ish, but it's coming, believe me, trust me. But the fall is a change of season from, uh, from summer to winter. And it's marked by something much more important than pumpkin spice lattes, the harvest. This is the time that we gather in the harvest. Um, there's um, after spring planting, the summer of tending the fields, uh, autumn's a time to bring in that harvest, bring in that bounty of the land that God has blessed us with. It's an important time in our, our cycle. That's where we, we get our food. Which made me think about, what about God's harvest? God calls us to a harvest, so what does he mean? Looking at some numbers, the harvest truly is plentiful. In the Antelope Valley, we're just under 12% Protestant Christian. Over 46% claim absolutely no religious belief whatsoever. At least 86% of the people where we live are ripe for the gospel. 86% need to hear about salvation. That's a field that's ripe for harvest. So we start in uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 35. In 35, we see Jesus is out doing the actual work. He's called us to a work, but the first thing he shows us is himself doing that work. He's, he's teaching in the synagogues. Jesus is going out to the cities and small villages, and the first thing he's doing is he's teaching. A missionary I know very well starts an evangelism mission with a narrative of the Bible. If people have no exposure to the Bible, to God's word, you start by showing them God's word. Through God's word, he shows people who God is, what sin is, how we rebelled against God, and why we need a savior. Next, we see Jesus proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard, I love and hate good news, bad news jokes. Um, as, as you become a dad, they become more prevalent. Um, you have to be careful though, I was with my grandsons and told the good news, bad news jokes. And then I had an hour of each of them coming to me and telling me a good news, bad news joke that made no sense because they were just making them up on the spot. Uh, so what if you do a good news, bad news joke and you say bad news and whatever the bad news is, and then you get to, and the person says, and what's the good news? And you go, there is no good news. What's a good news, bad news joke with no good news? It's horrible. It's just bad news. What if we just teach that you're a condemned sinner? What if we teach that you're one who's going to suffer eternal punishment? No, Jesus brought the good news. Jesus brought the news that the promised one, the Messiah, has come to save sinners from hell. That missionary follows the same strategy Jesus shares here. There is good news. And he shared that how people actually get concerned when they read 
the, when they're taught through the Bible and they come to the religion, they have sinned and they're apart from God, the God they were just introduced to. And then you say, but there's good news. There's a savior. Um, and it's the savior that we need. So in the next little uh, part of uh, verse uh, 35 um, and uh, 36, uh, it says, Jesus healed every disease and affliction. This is an important part uh, of his ministry, and it's an important part of this story here. Um, now, when it says he healed every disease and affliction, it's not that every disease and affliction ended forever. He didn't remove disease from the world, but there was no disease or affliction that he could not heal. Every disease that came to him, he had the power, he had the authority to heal. His power was not limited when it comes to healing. And that's important. Because why did Jesus heal? Was it just, you know, an awesome health plan? You know, better than Medicare? It showed his authority. Earlier in this chapter, uh, at the beginning, uh, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And in Matthew 9, 2 through 8, after seeing their faith, what did, what's the first thing he said? He sees the faith of those who brought that paralyzed man. And the first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Then to show he has the authority to forgive sins, he shows his unlimited power by healing the man and telling him, stand up and walk. He said, so you know that I have the authority to forgive sins. I heal this man, stand up and walk. That missionary I know tells people the story of our sin and rebellion towards God. He shows the Savior, Jesus Christ, as the only one who can forgive our sins because he died in our place for those sins. Then finally, he shares the scriptures, the testimony of the witnesses in places such as here in Matthew, which happens to be the name of that missionary, where Jesus shows us that he alone has the power and the authority to save. So teach who God is, why we are sinners, why we need a savior, and that Jesus is that savior, and he demonstrated that he has that power and he has that authority. Verse 36 says he, had, he saw the crowds and had compassion. They were helpless as we all are without leadership. Without leadership, a group of us tends to be helpless. Without leadership, on our own, we tend to be helpless. Uh, the priests, the rabbis, the Pharisees, they're not doing their job of leading the people to God. Their job was to lead people, to point people to God, to, to hold people faithful to God. And they weren't doing that job. The harvest is plentiful. The people are ready to hear the gospel. The people are ready to respond to that gospel. The priests, the failed them. The rabbis, the Pharisees, all the other religious leaders had failed 
to prepare the people for their coming Messiah. He had compassion on the lost because he knew that they were ready in their hearts for their Messiah. There was a little bit of discussion in commentaries I read about compassion and uh, God's compassion. This is what I came up with. God has compassion as one of his perfect attributes. God cares for us. Compassion is one of his attributes, but it is also one of his attributes that he has shared with man. He created man to have the ability to have compassion. He gave us compassion, the ability to have compassion on our fellow man. And Jesus, who is fully God and is filled with the attribute of compassion that is God, is also fully man and has the compassion a person has for others. But he's perfect. He's the perfect sinless man. And his compassion is perfectly man and perfectly God. Imagine that compassion. He is perfectly compassionate, both fully man and fully God. So when the gospel tells us he had compassion for them, try to fathom the depths of that compassion. Just imagine how substantial that compassion is. That compassion is so great, he died to save us from helplessness. That's where his compassion leads to, is his death on the cross. Next line, is, uh, he says, the harvest is plentiful, uh, but the laborers are few. This gets repeated in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, where Jesus sends out the 72. Uh, so this is not just a command to the 12 disciples, but this is a command to all disciples. And that would be us. Jesus saw the greatness of human need as an opportunity, as the harvest was plentiful. A harvest is a good thing. It's a blessing to the owner of the field. And this was a plentiful harvest. This is still a plentiful harvest. In the old days, so I'm getting to that point where I tell the stories about in the old days, uh, a visiting missionary would show, to, show up with a slide projector showing the work they do in far off lands. There's always a picture of laughing children eating something. So when one of our missionaries comes and shows us the pictures on the screen and shows a picture of a kid eating something, you're all going to laugh because you remembered this. Well, I hope you remembered. Um, but there's always a picture of laughing children eating something, and they inevitably end with a slide of a wheat field at sunset and this verse. It's the way they always end. I've seen a million of them. This harvest needs workers. The good harvest can go to waste if there's no laborers to take advantage of the bounty. Imagine you're standing, you're looking at your 400 acres of wheat, and you don't have anybody to harvest it. What happens to that wheat? It goes to waste. 
It's a wasted opportunity. So the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Notice Jesus calls for laborers. Not those who posture and take selfies while standing in the field. He's not calling for managers or supervisors. This isn't a call for more politicians. He's calling for laborers. Laborers implies hard work. Spurgeon says, the fields are encumbered with gentlemen who cannot use the sickle. We're called to be laborers. We're called to labor in the field. Jesus didn't say the harvest is plentiful, labors are few, but it's okay. The Father will pick up the slack. God the Father will take care of it. He'll, he'll cover over your lack of answering his call. If there's no one to labor in the field of harvest, don't look to God for a more convenient solution. We, God calls us to something, and it sounds hard. And we pray mightily that God comes up with some other solution that is more convenient and fits in my schedule. The harvest, the field, needs laborers. So he says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So what's our first step in obeying the call of the Lord? Pray. Pray that the Lord sends out laborers into his harvest. The first thing is to pray, then pray some more. So what does in, in um, ESV, I'm sorry, in the, in the um, English Standard uh, Version translation, it uses the word, it says, pray earnestly or earnestly pray. What does that look like? Strong describes it as to want, to desire, long for, to ask, to beg. Do we pray like that? I mean, besides for winning the lottery, do we beg God when we pray? Do we long for that answer? Do we desire what we're praying for? Do we pray begging for workers in the fields of God's harvest? Since the harvest belongs to the Lord, we're commanded to pray that he would compel workers to reap his harvest. This is a prayer we must desire and long to pray, but we can only pray it honestly if we pray it with ears open to hearing him tell us, you go to the harvest. We can't pray, Lord, send someone else. The harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Send him. We need to pray with our ears open for God to tell us what to do. Jesus has compassion for the lost and the helpless. That's why he calls us to be laborers in his father's harvest. The question is, do we share that compassion? Do we share God's compassion for the lost? 
Do we pray with our ears open? And we move over to chapter 10. Now, uh, we skip over a little bit in chapter 10. Uh, this is really, really super important if you ever get caught in a um, Bible trivia. Matthew 10, um, uh, 1, through, 1 through 4 is where you go when they say, name all 12 apostles. So it's, it's important for you to win. If you're going to win Bible trivia, that's where that is. But, um, and then it talks about him sending out the 12 apostles to actually do the work. But then we come to a warning, an eye-opening, Jesus telling us he's sending us out. But again, it's going to be hard work. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So, okay, we've prayed for laborers in the field to work for the Father and reaping its harvest. We prayed with our ears open if it answered the call. We're standing in the field with our hat, our gloves, and our five-gallon hydration mug. We're ready to work. It's going to be easy, right? There's going to be pizza at lunch or something. You know, it's, it, God called us to work. It's going to, be, it's going to be a snap. It's going to be easy. I mean, God wouldn't call us to hard labor, would he? Would God call us to a hard labor? Yes. Yes, he does. So in verse 16, he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Uh-oh. Here's a fun fact. Sheep are not known for their epic fighting skills. Sheep are helpless. Notice this is the second time he's called us sheep. Think about that for a minute. Sheep are helpless. Sheep needs a shepherd's help to digest food. He needs, they need help to know when to drink water, how to stay out of pits, holes, and even slight depressions. A sheep's best defense is to bleat pitifully and hope the shepherd comes to rescue. That's the best it can do, is make an annoying sound. And hopefully someone listens. Tactically, sheep are not your best force against wolves. Wolves just consider sheep a moving buffet. Meat on sticks. But we're called as sheep to go amongst the wolves. So be wise as serpent, serpents and innocent as doves. We're, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves. So be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. Okay. Pastor friend of mine preached on this a long time ago and he called it flying snakes. Um, his... Um, and that was way before the movie Snakes on a Plane, so his is original. Uh, his kids took one of those little articulating wooden snakes and glued um, uh, feathery uh, wings on it. And it's on a little stand. He's, I think he still has it, but that was his little flying snake uh, for this uh, sermon series. So what does it mean to be wise as a serpent? 
Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. Serpents are known as wise, as cunning. The dove is a symbol of both peace and innocence. The innocence is an important part. Uh, Hosea 7 verse 11 says, Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense. So you're a wise, cunning, helpless sheep that is silly without sense. Got it. So our first question is probably, how do I do that? How do I do that? Jesus calls us to be laborers in the Father's fields. He warns us we're a sheep going into a wolf pack. And now he says we need to be wise but innocent. This is impossible. This is not something we can, this is like asking, I don't know, it's like asking somebody to build an ark and gather all the animals into it. It's just an impossible task. Um, it's like building a temple when the Lord tells us to. It's being told in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. How is that possible? How is it possible to go to all the nations to be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove? Verse 17, beware of men, they will deliver you over to the courts, flog you in their synagogues, that's both the civil and the, um, the world and um, um, the, the religious establishment. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. This just keeps getting better and better. Now Jesus is telling us we're going to be persecuted, we're going to be flogged, we're going to be dragged into the court. I'm struggling with this job description. It's getting tough. I thought I was just going to go out and pick wheat in a field. But no, this is a hard labor. Verse 9, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you're to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, the spirit of your father speaking through you. Trusting the promise of God that when you're on trial for faith, the, word, the words will come to you. The Lord, the Spirit of God, will give you the words to say. Now, this isn't justification for poor preparation in teaching and preaching. Um, it's, a, it's a promise of strength and guidance for, for the persecuted that have an opportunity to testify to Jesus. When you are persecuted, the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. You'll say what glorifies God. When you're hated for all, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The very nature of sin is rebellion against God. 
those in rebellion against God, will hate you because of their rebellion. They're in rebellion against God. They hate God because he told them to do something. So he's going to hate you when you bring that message to them. The world's going to hate you. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. I think there is a, a, is a point uh, to not search out opportunities to be a martyr. You don't have to search out persecution. There's going to be enough. But when they persecute you, go to the next. We too often think about being a laborer in the father's field, like those folks who call about your car warranty or try to sell you solar panels. We don't need to do the hard sell of talking someone into something they don't want. We're not here doing the hard sell. But rather, we are blessed to participate in rescuing someone from death. We're not selling them something. We're rescuing them. You're not a salesman. You're a first responder. You're saving people from death, from eternal destruction. And the Holy Spirit is working with you. Is that me or is the microphone making noises? Or is it just the fly going around my head? The Holy Spirit's at work in the hearts of men. And we're gifted with the chance to be a part of that. We're gifted to witness their joy and glorify God for his goodness. We glorify God, praise his name for his compassion because he cares about those people. That field we keep talking about are people who are lost. And Jesus doesn't want them to be lost. He's going to go die on a cross so they won't die forever. People are saved not because we're pervasive in speech. People don't come to God because you have a great argument, or you're great salespeople. We don't coerce or bribe people into the kingdom. They are saved and reborn by the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit at work in their hearts. It's God's work, and he has blessed us with the opportunity to participate in it and witness the joy of another soul entering his eternal kingdom, another person another to see God's compassion on another person, to see God love someone as much as he loves you. In Matthew 28, Jesus gathers the disciples before his ascension and commissions them to the work of the laborers to be laborers in his father's field. Verse 18 of Matthew 28 says, Jesus tells them and all of us, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He earned it in victory on the cross. He defeated sin and death. Then, with that authority, he commands his disciples to go out and make more disciples in all the nations. 
He tells them to teach everything that he has commanded them. We are called, he is teaching disciples to make disciples who make disciples. Teaching disciples to make disciples who make disciples. That is the Great Commission. Now, in in, um, Matthew 28, there's this cool part. I just can't skip it. Um, Jesus tells him to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's just, boom, right there, the Trinity. And, And Jesus says, I am the Son. I am the triune God. It's plain. It's open. I don't see how you can deny it or, you know, preach around it. But it's just a neat little thing. I just, I always have to comment. So how do we accomplish so great a task? How do we accomplish the task of laboring in fields which are ripe for harvest? Because there's a lot to do. 86% of this valley needs to hear the gospel. We're called to a work of effort and a work of commitment. We're sent out as sheep among wolves and are called to be as peaceful as doves, yet at the same time wise as serpents. We're called to proclaim Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And if there was just this harsh command, go do this, but Jesus ends with, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit of God will be with us. There's this fantastic promise and empowerment that takes us sheep (laughs) and, and protects us and empowers us with his word and his power that God dwells in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Meditate on that. Savor that. Rejoice in that. God is with you. Not for a time, not limited, but until the end of the age. We are not without the presence and power of God for a single second until Christ glorious return. There's not a single moment in your life that you are powerless because you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And that's what empowers us to go out among wolves as sheep and be victorious for him and to give him the glory. The Gospel of Matthew ends with that fulfillment of that promise and the prophecy from Isaiah 7 which is starts Matthew in chapter one. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew begins and ends with God with us. We are called and also blessed to labor for his glory and his kingdom. Let's close. Father, thank you. We we open our eyes to see that the field is ripe for harvest, that uh, your work is desperately needed, 
and you've called us to it, to go out into the world, yet to be gentle as doves and wise as serpents, to, to proclaim your word, to proclaim your testimony, and to bring other people into your kingdom, into your unlimited kingdom for all eternity, and that we can rejoice with all of those people and glorify you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.